Tonight's guest is Kyle Green from the Greenway Outdoors. Kyle, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Hey, I want to thank you for, uh, first off, your time. I know uh, you're down in Texas doing a little odd hunting, so I thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. So what I usually do is when we get into these podcasts and we start talking, um, I always forget to ask our guests, first off, how did you get started in hunting and who got you started and what are your biggest accomplishments? Yeah, I would say that um, my dad got me started in uh, from a young age. And then also my best friend, the other host of our TV show, uh, Jeff kind of got me involved too, because he was my partner in crime doing everything we ever did uh, together. But yeah, since a young age, I was ice fishing with my dad in Michigan, uh, learning to deer hunt, learning to rabbit hunt. Um, Jeff and I got into waterfowl hunting kind of on our own and really grew and learned with that. Um, and just kind of branched out from there. Just, uh, everything that was moving, crawling, walking, we were interested in hunting it. And, uh, Jeff, the other host of the show is also really, really good at cooking. Uh, he actually has a degree in dietetics, so he knows a lot about food and, um, nutrition. So he's really good. He's a good cook and he was able to put recipes together that made me want to keep going out in the woods. Nice. I also am a cook. I have a uh, associate's degree in culinary arts, so I, I know the the ins and outs of how to prepare stuff and and do things like that. But there's nothing better than a, a well prepared wild game meal for sure. You, you got that right. Especially the the variety of stuff we get gives him a lot of different proteins to work with, from rattlesnakes to, to elk to axis deer to wild pigs to. We're, we're, right now we're about we just caught a bunch of paddlefish yesterday. Uh, and now we've got to deal with uh, figuring out how to cook paddlefish flesh, which is so interesting because it's a completely different texture than any meat I've ever felt. Um, I'd equate it to almost like a, if you mixed meat and jello and then made it a little stiffer and harder to grab, uh, that would be how I would describe the meat. Getting a hold of it uh, just to cut it and uh, uh, break it down was hard enough. So good luck to him for cooking that one, but I'm excited to try it. So for those that don't know, what is a paddlefish? We hear yeah, about yeah. paddlefish, but it's a, it's a Michigan. Pre- yeah, it's a, it's a prehistoric fish. Uh, they get really big, which is cool. But uh, essentially, they are a fish found in a few different waters, uh, one of which is near Wyandotte, Oklahoma, or Miami, Oklahoma. And in those waters, that's Grand Lake, which is uh, um, a giant river system with different lakes attached to it. But they are in there. They've been in there for a very, very, very long time. Uh, they're very big. They have a, a skin very similar to like a catfish uh, type. They have a giant paddle on their face. If you check out our Facebook or Instagram, the Greenway Outdoors, you can see it there. But uh, the giant paddle on their face is filled with electroreceptors where they can actually um, sense zooplankton in the waterways. And that they actually use that electro field to reach out figure out where that zooplankton is and filter it out of the water because it, with as big as they are, they're actually just giant filter feeders. And because of that, the only way to catch them is to actually snag them. So if you're from Michigan and you've ever, ever thought, ever heard anything about snagging, it normally has to do with a story about the DNR arresting someone. So it's kind of interesting to be here with giant treble hooks and dipsy divers the size of Frisbees driving at five miles an hour with a boat trying to snag fish in the water. So it's, it's, it's an interesting experience to say the least. Yeah, it definitely raises some red flags. <laughs> how did you get started with the Greenway Outdoors and how did your show come to fruition and what is the premise of it? Yeah, 
so essentially my background is in television. I was, uh, um, I produced a medical talk show. Um, I was nominated for three Emmys back when I was like 20, 21, 22, somewhere in that age range. Um, and you know, I, I kind of, I left that organization because I wanted to kind of carve my own path and growing up hunting and fishing. So important to me, you know, I analyzed everything. I said, you know, 60% of hunting and fishing licenses are sold to white males over the age of 55. And if we don't replace that demographic by my, my guess would be probably 2032 to 2035, 60% of our funding over the course of that following 10 year period. And the problem with that is that's what pays for all of our natural resources. That's what pays for our species sustainability efforts. That's what gives us clean water. The Flint water crisis, for those of you from Michigan, it's just the beginning. Uh, that's, you know, those hunting and fishing licenses are what fund all of these very important things, not to mention the conservation organization memberships and things like that as well. So I said, you know, I want to take the skill set that I have and start creating television for something I really care about. And that's kind of how we designed the Greenway Outdoors is to reach that younger generation, Generation Z millennials, and reach them with media content that would both inspire and entertain them to get in the outdoors. At the time, I just started it with my three best friends. It was just a group of four of us started the show uh, around a coffee table in my condo at the time. And uh, that was about six and a half years ago now. We developed the outline of the show to be in five parts uh, to accomplish the goals that we were setting out to do. So segment one is called the uh, Conservation Corner. So every episode's about a specific tactic for a specific species. So one of the things that we've analyzed that we knew we needed to do was kind of decriminalize hunting. Hunting and fishing is looked at as uh, a barbaric, terrible thing by a lot of people in that Generation Z and Millennial Age group, regardless of whether they eat meat or not, right? Um, so we wanted to educate them on the conservation corner. So like, let's say we were hunting turkeys, you know, in 1960 in Michigan, wild turkeys were all but extinct. And now because of hunters, dowers and conservation efforts, we have a huntable population. I spend $30 on a turkey tag and a conservation organization membership and go back to reintroducing wild turkeys, creating species sustainability efforts for those turkeys and keeping the population robust with science-based conservation and I'm only taking one and maybe I don't even get one. So it kind of breaks down and decriminalizes the hunt. So people understand how important hunting is for that species. Then we have the Greenway gear checklist, which is everything you need for the hunting or fishing trip um, as far as gear wise. So if you're heading out for the first time, here's the checklist, of the items you need at the bare minimum to make sure you can be successful. Then we show you the hunting or fishing trip in a reality show style format. We have a, um, a segment we call the lesson, which includes a Bible verse, kind of a summary of the lessons we learned on the trip. And then we have a studio kitchen in Auburn Hills, Michigan, where we show you how to cook what we got. So kind of taking you from field to the table every time. And we felt that that was probably the best outline to inspire new sportsmen and women to get in the outdoors because it kind of covered all facets of what we we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, it, it worked pretty well. Uh, we got picked up by a few networks right off the bat. So, uh, um, you know, we're on the Sportsman channel. Uh, we're picked up by the Outdoor channel. Uh, we've also done Prime. We're on Whistle TV. Uh, we have a new Roku channel coming out, Pluto TV. Uh, there's probably about 10 or 15 other smaller uh, streaming services that we're on as well. Uh, and the goal is just to get people out 
and about and, you know, let them know about this message. And then in that, we kind of expanded the brand. We have a weekly podcast that we do, kind of Joe Rogan style, where it's a video podcast where people can watch it on YouTube or Carbon TV and uh, also listen to it where you would find podcasts uh, if they prefer not to see our ugly faces. Um, and then, you know, we've partnered with Bass Pro Shops, Ram Trucks, and a few others to try and develop this content and make it really special. So that's my long-winded response about how we started and, <laughs> and what our goals are. The first Greenway Outdoors episode I think I ever watched, Kyle, was the one where you guys were rabbit hunting. Oh, like, wow. So you, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And at first I was like, what is this new setup? Like I didn't, I didn't quite gather or understand the reasoning behind it. But the more I watched, I understood that it, it's more geared towards not guys like me, because I'm old and gray, but the younger generation who, if we don't get them involved in the outdoors, it, they're not going to have an outdoors to get involved in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you seeing that and uh, uh, gaining that perspective. And filming a rabbit hunt, let me tell you, that's harder than filming an elk hunt. Those buggers are tough to get on camera. Yes, they are. Well, they're, they re- they're tough to get regardless if you're trying to get them on camera or not. No kidding. You got that right. Yeah, the, 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 they're, they're, they're a fun one. We were running beagles that day, too. I believe we were probably with Ray Hoodie of Hotshot Outfitters up in Port Hope there. For those of you who have any interest in getting out and trying rabbit hunting, in Michigan, I highly recommend Hotshot Outfitters. They're probably one of the only rabbit guides you're ever going to find. Uh, and they got a pack of beagles like you wouldn't believe. And uh, they know they put everybody on rabbits. And I, I want to say it's like 100 bucks a guy. And I, I can almost bet you you'll have your shot at your limit, whether you can actually hit it or not. That's another thing. But um, we've all been there. But, uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend Ray Hotshot Outfitters for if you're interested in doing a rabbit hunt. Beagles are definitely one of my favorite dogs. They were the first dog I ever owned. There's just something about hunting rabbits over beagles in Michigan in the snow. Speaking of dogs, you guys just did a podcast called He's Getting Birdie. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, actually that was with Kellen Crow, um, who is uh, he's a, a great asset to us. He does a lot of our PR work. And actually I partnered with Kellen on uh, we're creating developing a children book series that I believe is going to be launched through Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's where people will be able to pick it up in the stores there. He's a he's a highly talented uh, graphic designer and does a lot of our work for the show. And he's also obsessed with bird hunting. And that's kind of cool because, you know, we just filmed a, a upland bird hunt for quail in Washington. And that episode is going to be coming out on Sportsman Channel in a couple weeks. Uh, we just released a trucker episode that was also in Eastern Washington. Uh, a couple weeks ago, which is upland hunting is kind of a big passion with us, mainly to our producer, Ryan raises uh, bird dogs. So him and Kellen kind of riffed on uh, different bird hunting opportunities and uh, and uh, learning about these different dogs, raising them and the pros and cons to different forms of raising dogs in order to get them ready for hunting. And I, I'd recommend anybody listen to that one. It's It's a good one. It's educational as far as dog hunting goes. And that's kind of, uh, I think I get obsessed with it and love doing those podcasts because I think I learn the most on those because admittedly, you know, I've never had a bird dog. So I always find it fascinating what it takes to have that companion in the field that just works as hard as you do to, you know, be successful. Well, speaking of bird dogs, you're going to have to have them get a hold of me because I have two up and coming pups. We just picked up an eight week old Brittany pup which I think he's going to be a good dog. He's already using his nose. But then we have an English setter that he's, when he goes outside, he points at every dang bird that's in my yard. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know, a red-winged blackbird or a robin or 
whatever it is, he's pointing at it. Right. So I have I have great hopes on that. But yeah, you'll have to have them get a hold of me so we can uh, get together and I'll, I'll learn a few techniques because. I don't know anything about bird dogs. I'm more of a hound guy myself. I love hounds. Yeah, I you know we we did a uh, a raccoon hunt with some uh, uh, with some hounds as well. Um, have you ever done that? Um, I trap coons. I don't I don't run okay. dogs for them. Yeah, we did an episode where we ran dogs for them, and that was exciting. I mean that was that was a good time. It was it was crazy because it was one of the first snows of the year, which is apparently like the only bad time to go. So of course that's when we had it all set up and. Uh, it was fun, you know, just getting the experience of following those dogs, getting them under the trees and howling and, you know, tracking down raccoons. And then, you know, it's one thing to get them in the tree, too. It's another thing to be able to see them up there. You know, they, they, they hide in trees and it's a good time. But you, you like trapping yourself? I do. Yeah, um, it's it's relatively easy to trap a coon because they have they have what's called the, the dog proofs. And you just put a little bit of bait down in that and they pull on a trigger and then it just handcuffs them and and they're there. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, OK. Like I've had, I've had one single coon have his paw trapped in one trap, and then he reaches over and gets himself caught both front paws in two different traps. Yeah, he didn't learn his lesson from the first. No, one. he didn't <laughs> learn the, learn the lesson the first time. He's a little greedy. So, what do you typically do with them? Um, I skin them out. Uh, I just started learning how to skin them out uh, last year, so I didn't didn't do anywhere near as good as what I probably could have had I had some experience, but. I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really neat process and being able to utilize fur is something I've been really getting into as well. Jeff's pretty good at skinning coyotes and he's gotten pretty good at raccoons and stuff. So getting to, getting to build things. Uh, my girlfriend too, she's like, she wants a coyote vest now. And I said, Oh God, you know, I better get better at, uh, at doing this correctly then if we want to put, try and put a vest together and actually make it look halfway decent. So that's something I've been playing with more, but uh, we actually made on the episode, we made raccoon fajitas and you'd be shocked. That was some of the best meat you've ever had. It's really important how you prepare it. We take, uh, we take the, basically you take the, you know, raccoon apart, you'd got them, you'd cut a leg off and then you'd have to go through and really work to get meat off the, off the animal himself because meat itself has like, it's like the most disgusting custard you've ever heard of. Uh, like in between the muscle tissues and stuff and getting the meat off of the animal is just really difficult. But when you pull off all the meat, get all the fat off it completely. And then we actually soaked it in milk overnight. And that milk, the acidic nature of the milk um, really neutralizes the flavor of the, of the game flavor and also tenderizes it a little bit. And then we cooked it like it was fajitas, you know, no, no, nothing really different. And we had uh, um, a bunch of the girlfriends were up there with us at the cooking studio and stuff. And it was kind of a truth or dare kind of thing, getting people to try it. But everyone that tried it couldn't believe how good it was. There wasn't a hint of game flavor. It was like eating filet. It was like tender beef and just fantastic. I mean, you could have tricked anybody with it and told them that it was filet tacos and they would have believed you. I mean, it was that good. And it goes to show, too. I mean, think about it. You know, what a resource a raccoon is and so forgotten. You've got an animal that's got fur that can be utilized for almost anything. You've got a uh, very high calorie meat with tons of fat in it, uh, a little high in cholesterol, but a ton, a ton of calories. So for someone in the olden days, when you can get those kind of calories and that kind of protein and that kind of fat for the winter and get fur out of it, it, it I, there was, you know, it was a, a tradition to go out raccoon hunting and why everybody did it, you know? Right. Did I lose exactly. you? 
Have you ever had a beaver tailed steak? I I have. I've had a. I, well, actually, I don't know that I've had beaver tailed steak. I bet that might have helped it. But we um we cooked a beaver tail over a fire, and like we like put butter on it too. Apparently, that was the thing to do. And I don't think we did it right because that was a pretty miserable experience for us. <laughs> no, I can I can I can assure you that you you did it not the correct way because if yeah. you do them if you do them right the the two muscles in the tail come out as uh, about the same size as a as a fillet med- medallion and okay. if you do them do them right they rival a fillet really yeah they're okay. they're they're very mouthwatering for sure no kid i will give that another try in honor of you i will i will give that a try again <laughs> and then you're then you're going to be cursing me all the way back to <laughs> i'm like he said this would taste like filet (laughs) right um with the way that covid hit and everything we did see an increase in the number of fishing licenses sold the number of hunting licenses sold um and i know you've done a lot of research on like the the demographics and that why don't we touch a little bit on that yeah, I, I think I think one of the coolest parts of it is obviously global pandemic. Everybody's trying to get out in the outdoors. I think there was a newfound respect for where our food comes from. I feel like people started to care the amount of like, so how does this work and how does that work? Realizing that our system that we have in place is is a bit of a fairy tale and that at any time, you know, it could come crashing down and people might need to know how to gather their own food, might need to hunt for their own food, might need to harvest their own food. And aside from that, the recreation of it too, when people are bored and end up to do, uh, sparked interest from people that maybe hunted a little bit when they were a kid or fished a little bit when they were a kid and decided to get back into it or people that had a newfound respect for it that wanted to try it. And one of the demographics that was really interesting to touch on your point is that the biggest new demo to the hunting and fishing industry is females. Um, And specifically females in the, I believe I want to say, 18 to 25 age range. Um, So that's exciting to see because that's kind of our goal, right? The higher numbers inside the Generation Z and Millennials. And if we can diversify more and include women more, that's really exciting because I'll tell you, um, I, you know, something that I have a hunch and this isn't anything you'll find anywhere in um, any materials on demographics or anything like that. But if our divorce rate is something like 50% and there's more and more single parents, then the more females that are involved in hunting and fishing, the more likely that their kids will be and that they'll be there to teach them because that's another parent involved for the future. So to me, I think it's very important that, uh, uh, you know, women have the opportunity as well to enjoy Not to mention, it's just so fun. You know what I mean? It's, it's getting out in the outdoors. It's so important. It's, it's so invigorating. And the more people that can do it, the better. But yeah, what we're seeing is a, a drastic increase. The number one demo is that uh, younger female demo that is getting into hunting and fishing. And, and uh, the, the pandemic uh, really only just highlighted that. Um, it, it just, it, it increased around the board, but, but certainly highlighted that new demo. Right. And seeing, I love seeing kids first off in the outdoors. And then I love seeing women in the outdoors. My wife told me a few years ago that if it weren't for crossbows, she wouldn't have started hunting. And last year, she was the only one that from our family that took a deer. So, you know, I would have not gone uh, a whole year. Well, I would have gone a whole year without any venison. And that's that's just not good. <laughs> well, well, crossbows for kids 
and I, you know, I, I tread lightly in saying women as well, but crossbows are interesting um, for people that are new to hunting because they offer up an opportunity to hunt deer in October, but not have to worry about being as diff- It's a difficult thing to learn archery. You know, it's a difficult thing to pull back a bow. It's a difficult thing to trick a deer by pulling back a bow. It's a difficult thing to make an accurate shot with a bow. Crossbow kind of levels the field a little bit where I, I, you know, I've taught people to shoot archery and I've taught people to shoot crossbows and it's easier to teach people to shoot crossbows. And it kind of levels that playing field a little bit where you can get kind of a newcomer to come out, deal with all the factors that a regular bow, um, you know, puts on you. And instead having a little bit more, a, a less complex opportunity to hunt during October and, uh, and make a more ethical shot for their first time around and sit in a little bit more fair weather. You know, it's, uh, you know, November 15th can be pretty harsh in Michigan. So it, it really opens up that opportunity and it also gives them more time to be successful. You know, the season from October going well into December gives them more of an opportunity to be successful too. Correct. And what I, what drives me nuts is these holier than thou guys, you see them on every platform, you know, oh, crossbows are cheating and this and that, and you're lazy or you, you just can't hunt because you're using a crossbow. And it just, that's the whole reason I started Michigan crossbow hunters in the first place is because I kept getting called lazy or I wasn't a hunter or this and that, but nobody cared for the, the fact that I went to buy a new bow and I'm one of those anomalies that are finger shooters. I can't use a release. And when I went to buy a, a new bow, there was no bow on the market that was finger shooter friendly except for crossbows. That's interesting. Yeah. And with the new bows and the new tech, that's that, that, that is a little bit different, but you know, like you said holier than thou, and that's, that's a pretty good way of putting it. And you're going to find that across the hunting and fishing industry. And that, that's, that's, it's a shame. I mean, you can imagine the attacks we got, especially when we were younger and just starting out. It's almost like they're looking for ways to point out that you're, you're terrible. And, you know, this is the same issue we have with people that come in and say, you know, the, uh, the Michigan hunter out to bait because, uh, you know, baiting isn't hunting, you know, as if they are the judge and the police and the Lord of everything that is legal with hunting and fishing because, they do it their way and everyone should do it that way. And it's absolutely, you know, it's asinine because the more, here's the thing, 90% of the hunting and fishing licenses are sold to people that are hunting maybe a weekend a year, a week a year, um, maybe less, maybe a little bit more. But these, these hunters that are, you know, strictly archery and nobody should use a crossbow, nobody should be allowed to bait, nobody should be allowed to do this, you got to do it this way. If they had it their way, they wouldn't have a sport because 90% of the funding that makes it possible for them to have the rights they have is funded by people who disagree with them, who want to participate, but maybe do want to bait, who want to participate, but maybe do want to use a crossbow. So they'd be shooting themselves in the foot, but they love to hear themselves talk and they can't wait to be aggressive and difficult. And I, I welcome it because I love that debate because it's easily shot down with truth, logic and common sense. And it, it's absolutely insane that we should be inspiring those to get out and hunt and fish in whatever capacity they can and whatever they can do to be successful. God bless them. As long as they have the right licenses, they have the right tags and they do what they can for conservation organizations, then they are an asset to the state and they're an asset to the sport. And we need to quit policing ourselves and, and putting ourselves down because, 
we collectively are under enough stress and enough attacks in the hunting industry that the last thing we need to do is shoot ourselves in the foot. But I will say this, I feel like um, that group of, of that holier than thou group is, is shrinking. Um, they're getting louder. The groups that's there, they're shrinking in numbers. And that excites me. And, and if you talk about all the new people that just got into hunting and fishing, thanks to COVID, then that number shrunk even more because those people that are just now getting into it are not going to be part of that group. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. So um, it, it's a shame. I'm, I'm, I'm one for tradition. Don't get me wrong. But the way that they, they treat other people and put other people down, like attack you and call you lazy if you're shooting in crossbow when you're getting out in the woods and you're harvesting venison for your family and you're getting your wife involved in it and you're, 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 you're you know, taking out, you know, this year's surplus in order to make room for next year's fawns and the insurance companies thank you, your freezer thanks you. Um, you know, factory farming doesn't thank you, but, but you know, the, the, the actual <laughs> community of people in this world, thank you. They're shrinking in numbers and eventually they'll be gone. And hopefully, you know, this new demographic that's coming up will take over and, uh, and support each other better. And I really hope that for the future. I do too. Uh, you know, the, they say the ones with the smallest numbers thump their chest the loudest. So hopefully yeah, they're, they're, they're d- definitely dwindling. Yeah, we we see that in politics too quite a bit, you know. Oh, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast about six hours long there. Yeah, you got that right. Hey, the other day I was listening to one of your podcasts, and you had uh, an, a fellow Michiganian who now is in Texas uh, tell everybody who you had on and how exciting that podcast was. Oh, Uncle Ted. Yeah, he's uh, uh, Ted Nugent was on our podcast. You can look it up. It's on our YouTube channel, The Green Me Outdoor, on Carbon TV, um, and then obviously everywhere podcasts are sold. But yeah, um, he came on and talked about, well, I guess they're not sold. Everywhere podcasts can be found. To be clear, it is free. <laughs> but uh, I got in a rhythm there. Uh, but yeah, we had Ted Nugent on, and uh, you know he, he had gotten coronavirus. And unfortunately, in the news, um, a lot of people saw that as an opportunity to kick him while he was down. Uh, the people were outright excited that he had gotten coronavirus because he had been outspoken about freedoms and um, mask laws and things like that. And they said, oh, he didn't believe in coronavirus or he thought it was a hoax, which wasn't true. He did fully believe in it. Uh, Essentially, he just thought people should be able to have their own freedom and make their own decisions for their own health and themselves. Um, But people were kicking him while he was down. So he kind of wanted to come on and celebrate with us that he was doing fine and feeling good. And, uh, was all fired up talking about what had happened and uh, he's all recovered now and doing fantastic. He spends about half his time in Texas and half his time in Michigan. Uh, right now he's in Texas uh, kicking and doing good. So he's happy and healthy again. So we dove into that. We also talked about uh, some really cool hunts that we, we've we got coming up and uh, also discussed uh, what to do with ticks. Uh, this tick season is going to be really, really rough for everyone. So what to watch oh, out for. Oh, yeah, it's already getting horrendous. Some topics like that. But, yeah, he's Uncle Ted's a good guy. We've done a couple podcasts with him now, and he just reached out to us because he wanted our viewers to know that he was uh, healthy and well. Good. Glad to hear it. I know there's there's a lot of people out there that uh, he rubs the wrong way. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, some of the things he says, I'm just kind of – it's a little cringeworthy. But it, all in all, I mean, he's an outspoken guy. He speaks his mind and he doesn't put up with no BS, you know. Well, what's what's interesting about him is when you really break down what he says, um, you know, he, he beats his chest and makes some really outrageous jokes and things like that that some people don't find funny. I, for one, have a really great sense of humor, so I typically enjoy it. But 
He he just if you break down what he says, it's often factual in nature and it would be impossible to debate him because he really holds away from opinions unless he's making, you know, an outrageous joke or statement. But he, for the most part, it's fact based, very difficult to debate because how do you debate facts without just bringing in emotion? And that's typically what you'll see is people very emotional when they want to dispute him. But I mean, he, he's been a great mentor to us. He's been fantastic. He's gone out of his way for me. And in one-on-one conversations off the record, he's a kind human being who would do, if you, if, if you research him honestly, uh, you'll find great things. And, and, you know, there's a bunch of rumors about him, you know, a terrible made up lies uh, that people spread and then just decide our facts and then dismiss everything about him. Uh, in order to rely on those fake stories. But any real research will find that um, most of the terrible things that you'll find about him are, are false. And uh, he's actually a great human being who, who just deeply, deeply cares about the future of the country and uh, the outdoors. And when I met him, I was probably a 19, 19-year-old kid, just in awe of a rock god, you know? I was working at Jay's Sporting Goods in Clare, and I got a phone call that we had to shut down Jay's because Ted Nugent was coming. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, right. Lo and behold, they shut the store down, and here in walks Uncle Ted, and I was just, oh, you know. <laughs> right. But the more I got to know him, and, and the more – like I sold him a gun and, and the more um, he switched from shooting Martin archery to Browning archery. Well, when he did, he had a wild game potluck dinner at his house in Jackson that I was more than willing to go to. And I was, I was actually blessed to go to. And here I am a 19 year old kid at Ted Nugent's ranch in Jackson, just listening to him speak going, man, this guy makes a lot of sense. He makes, you know, no outrageous, unfactual lies. And at the end, we all got to take a picture with him and shake his hand. And I have this picture to this day. He actually signed it. Yeah, he actually signed it. And I'm looking at the picture going, man, I'm a whole lot younger in that picture. (laughs) (laughs) What what year was this? Oh, let's see. I worked at Jay's from 90. I think it was 1997. Okay. So you you might not have even been a twinkle yet, were you? I, I was, but I was a young one. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. it was good time had by all. And then the Browning rep came to me one day and he says, hey, I've got some tickets to the Whiplash Bash at the Ionia Free Fair. Do you want them? I'm like, uh, yeah. So I got tickets to go to the concert. They were pretty decent tickets, um, you know, almost up front. And then backstage passes to do a meet and greet with Uncle Ted. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a good time. His, his, his concerts are legendary when he does them. I mean, they got canceled last year because of the COVID, but they are still legendary. Have you been to one yet? Yeah. Yeah, I went to oh, one a okay. couple years ago. Yeah, he, yeah. he does it normally. The last the last stop is normally in Michigan. Um, and I, I want to say it was, uh, I forgot which, uh, which venue it was at. One of the outdoor venues is always his last stop. It wasn't Freedom Hill. It's the other one. Um, but in, in Michigan there, it's normally like August 30th or whatever is normally when he does it. And that was the one I got to go to. Nice. So is there anything else that you want to touch base on and, and not so much explain why you do the things you do, but uh, I guess kind of 
if somebody like you wants to do what you're doing, how they go about doing it? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I guess, you know, to this day, I still feel like we haven't quite made what we're trying to do yet. You know, we're on Sportsman Channel, we're on Outdoor Channel, but our real goal is to attempt to make it to the mainstream, one of the top streaming services. So far in our industry, the only ones to really do it successfully was Meat Eater. Um, and, uh, you know, the people involved in his organization are, uh, you know, I believe he's got Churnin over there, um, who owns a, a great deal of his, uh, of his company. He also owns Fox. Uh, he's got some really big names involved in his organization, and that's how he was able to get the Netflix deal. Um, and I think Meat Eater has done a lot for the industry. I, you know, you can't talk to anyone in the outdoor industry that doesn't know about Meat Eater. And they are a great show made for those who hunt. Um, and I, I think that's fantastic that that content is available. I think where we coexist and where we are similar to is that we actually reach people outside the industry. Like you said, you when you first watch it, you're like, what is this setup? But our, our real goal is to bring people into the industry. Um, so I think we complement each other well. And I, I believe that we will make it to that that next level. And that's what we wake up trying to do every day. And quality is what it is. And our goal is to always make it the highest production quality possible. So we are able to be plugged into those big services. As far as uh, um, how to inspire others to go about doing what we're doing, I, you know, it's, 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 diff- it's, it's weird. My background was in television. So I kind of learned the ins and outs of that. Um, but a medical talk show and an outdoor TV show are so polar opposites that really all I learned was that it was possible, that it was possible to start your own TV show, that it was possible to do that. So what I would tell someone young wanting to get started is um, it is possible. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, and, you know, as far as, as creating the content, but I would say you want to make your story compelling. You, you know, there is a million YouTube shows. There's a million kill shot shows. Uh, there's a million GoPro shows where they're showing you kill shot after kill shot and, you know, slow motion this and slow motion that. But the story, I believe, is what's important. Connecting with the audience, taking them on the trip with you. And, you know, great information is more important than any kill shot. And, and to treat the outdoors with respect is number one. You see a lot of these shows get in trouble because... They get desperate for that kill shot and they end up breaking rules and then getting their whole show shut down. You know, uh, focusing on what's right and wrong, doing the right things, developing the story and just knowing deep down that it's possible uh, is what needs to wake you up every day. But, uh, you know, there can be no outside distractions. Um, the, The group that you surround yourself with, because it takes a tribe, needs to be people that are like minded, in love with what you're doing and willing to sacrifice anything to accomplish their goal and that, you know, no sleep is needed morning, noon and night. It's it's the outdoor industry is, you know, creating outdoor content so difficult because not only do you have to worry about getting sponsors or signing network deals or or doing all those different things, but also you have to be successful in the field while following all the rules and not just being successful in hunting and fishing, but being successful with the camera. Uh, being successful, getting the shots that you need, building the story, all those things. It, it's difficult, but just follow the rules. Have a really, really, really compelling story. Surround yourself with the best tribe of people that care deeply about what you're doing and are willing to sacrifice anything to be successful. That's perfect. I know for, you know, so some guys, I have a, I, I don't want to say success in the outdoor industry, but I've, I've 
rubbed elbows with a few people at ATA and and seen the way some people have taken their um and, and let it go to their head. Um, yeah. I I won't name names, but I, I mean they're they're pretty well known. Um, hot little blonde. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And I I walked up to her and I went reached my hand out, and she had been talking with some other people for about 10 minutes and I reached my hand out said hello my name is you know I'm with Michigan crossbow hunters and I'd just like to say hello and she's like I don't have time I gotta leave wow and I'm like really you're where you're at because of people like me right and and that just really turned me off I haven't watched one of their episodes since yeah, that's 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 a bummer to hear, and that's I think that's probably one of the cool things about Uncle Ted too is it's the opposite of that. And I've I've had similar experiences that I've witnessed that, you know, I just and that that, that would almost be my other thing too is if you're interested in starting these things, um, the route that I've taken, and I, I couldn't I couldn't even remotely say that it's the correct one, but I've never been to an ATA show, I've never been to a shot show, I've never been to any of those, because that's what everyone else is doing. I I I want to. I want to be different. I want to find new pathways. Um, and I think to make the real impact, I think I need to reach that larger audience uh, to bring other people in. I need to go where hunters and fishermen aren't. I need to go to inner cities. I need to go to churches. I need to go to different organizations where those hunters don't exist yet because at SHOT Show, everybody's a hunter and fisherman. So, uh, you know, I, I, I try and stay away from instances where you're patting yourself on the back or, or, you know, uh, God forbid someone would ever act like that, like what you described, uh, we tend to stay away from those and instead try and go out and do an outreach program where no one knows who you are because that's new people getting in the outdoors. And that's how I say keep that mission, that goal in your forefront. And it, it makes deci- it helps you make decisions that aren't like what everyone else is doing. And that would be, you know, kind of going off of what you're saying is just stay away from that negativity, you know. Right, exactly. And the way you guys do it, I guarantee you, is the right way. I mean, you guys have had a lot of success. You guys have what I think is one of the better shows out there because of that, the way you have your format and you tell the, the who, the what, the where, the why, and the how, and, and then you go out and show it, you know? Well, I, I appreciate that deeply. It's, I mean, I can't explain to you enough that it is literally my identity now. You know what I mean? I care that much. The show is the the brand and my best friends that I do it with. This is what we live, sleep, breathe, and eat. So to hear somebody compliment us because, you know, it's it's something we deeply, deeply, deeply care about more than anything. Well, and you can, when you care so much about something and you have a passion for it, it, it comes out and it shows. And it definitely shows in the way you guys carry yourself, in the way you guys produce your show and and also in the way you guys do your podcast i mean just a little bit of podcast that i've watched and the the few episodes that i've listened to you can tell that there's a genuine love for what you guys are doing oh thank you i appreciate that and i to be honest with you that that love and everything comes from the fact that too that you know you're with your best friends you know ryan is our producer um, and he's only 21 years old. He started with us when he was a, a young kid. Um, and he's been with us every, you know, since we started. And then AJ is our director, who's another one of our best friends. Never hunted or fished a day in his life, but just always f- had an affinity for it. And his background's in movie production and stuff. 
And then Jeff and I are such opposites in our own way. So we all have kind of have our own personalities, but we're all just best friends and would take a bullet for each other. And it's, you know, we're also trying to make this where this is, this is what we do for the rest of our lives together. So that, that passion is just, everything's tied up in it. You know what I mean? Especially when you're with your best friends. So. Right. Definitely. Um, and it, it definitely comes through like the, the few episodes that I've watched, it, it definitely comes through. And like I said, when I first started watching it, I'm going, I don't know about like, I, I was so in tune with everybody else's setup and the way they did it. And, and you know, everybody's just about the same. Right. You, you could take one host and put it in the other, in the other TV show. And it's the same TV show. Yeah. And, and your, your, your show is so much different because like I said, you do tell the who, the, what, the, why, the, where, and the how. When I first saw it, I was like, eh, I don't know if these guys are going to make it because this is, this is way off in left field and right. you know and then i started watching a few more episodes because the, like i said the first episode i watched was the one where you guys were rabbit hunting and i'm going that's random these guys enough. Are... <laughs> yeah that was that was random enough and i'm going yeah. wow these guys these guys really just enjoy hunting so the more i watched i was like man these guys have got it spot on so i applaud you guys for that I, I appreciate it very much. And I, I applaud right back at you. Um, you know, I, I didn't know that the reason why you started the, the, the uh, bow hunting page, the, specifically the crossbow hunting page, is because of your realization of, you know, it is a key. Uh, uh, it's, abs- it's an absolute bulldozer to level the playing field for getting new people into the outdoors. Um, and that, you know, I, knowing that that's your goal gets me more, even more excited about it. Uh, we just actually got sponsored by PSE, and they just they just sent us new crossbows, um, and we're going to be filming an episode with them this year. And when we do, I'll be sure to share it with you. Um, oh heck yeah! Yeah, Definitely. and I, I think it'd be cool to have you as a guest on our podcast to discuss it. Um, hey, how, anytime. How far are you from Fenton, Michigan? From Fenton, um, yeah. we're about an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty minutes. Okay, north, that's it. If you know where Midland is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. We yeah, actually. That... This is a freak accident, but uh, uh, what happened? We actually went up and filmed a Huntcast, which is our secondary TV show, which is a it's a long form TV show um, that's a basically a talk show and an outdoor show mixed in one, and we kind of do it on topics that we want to dive more deep into, and that airs on Carbon TV as well as YouTube, and we filmed an entire hour long uh documentary style uh interviews and footage and all kinds of amazing things of the terrible flooding that happened with you guys on the Tittabawassee river chain and it was so great and we actually uh the hard drive got busted that it was all saved on and we had just cleared it off the other one because normally we have two backups and after all that, we lost the entire thing. And I'm talking, oh, no. I'm talking a month and a half worth of work from all four of us plugging away at it, uh, and it was devastating. But I, I feel for you guys and uh, and what happened there. We have a friend that was on Smallwood Lake, uh, which is the second lake in the chain, didn't get yep. affected. Uh, it, well, it did obviously. Um, their house flooded and everything like that. But what happened with the Titabawasi River chain was just absolutely horrendous. So. How, how were you affected by that? I luckily, we are about, um, we're about eight miles from Sanford Lake. 
Okay. So when the dam broke, we weren't we weren't affected. We weren't evacuated or anything. the The biggest thing that we had was the culverts uh, on our road had some backed up, and I had a little bit of flooding in my in my yard, but nothing like you know the the five hundred yeah. year flood that everybody else had in their backyard. Yeah, that was I and I I so I wanted to cover it so bad, and what we did was the the angle that we took on it was not only covering what happened but then kind of seeing what the fishery was like in smallwood and how it was how it dealt with it um and we did top water fishing because uh with the shore being pushed in and no boats the frog population there that was one of the things that we noticed has probably increased 10 times so we were fishing with top water frogs and we were catching smallmouth bass and the, the fishery actually looked to be pretty good we also saw about a 45-inch musk uh, take a swipe at us but didn't bite. Uh, he tried to, missed twice, but we got a real good look at him. And the, the fishery, especially predators, looked pretty good in there. Um, so that was the good news. But unfortunately, we'll never get to tell that story the way that we would have. But uh, we might go out and try and do something this summer um, and still try and cover it. But man, was it good. Martin, I was so excited to share it with everyone. But what can you do? <laughs> After the dam let go on the river guys were just hammering muskies and i don't i don't know why because you hardly ever caught a muskie before the flooding and now guys are are catching you know 35 36 38 40 50 inch muskies out of there and i'm going what the heck right right it's it's it is weird um my buddy that lives on like i said smallwood lake that was interesting to him too to see something like that and uh yeah, it's just interesting the behavior change. When the water changes, the behavior changes. So um, are they getting more aggressive? Is there less fish for them to eat? Um, you know, the top water frogs was really working for obvious reasons. You know, there was way more frogs. It's kind of like right. matching the hatch in a really messed up way. Um, but, uh, you know, it was <laughs> it was really interesting to see that. So my hope is that the, the fisheries on the northern two lakes will still be good. But, I mean, that, that whole that whole system will be forever changed. It'll, I feel for the people, you know, imagine, you know, buying your retirement home and then going up there to retire and then your lake's now gone. And now you own mud front property instead of lakefront property and your values are plummeting. Um, and it'll be 10 or 15 years before you have a good working lake with fish in it again. And that just breaks my heart for those people for sure. Well, and what a lot of people don't understand or that they don't know is they think, you know that they're called the flats where the flats are where the where the lake used to be they don't own that that's That's totally true that's privately owned by the company that owns the dam right So they can't even they can't even step foot out onto there without getting in trouble for trespassing or or things like that that's very strange i i wanted to use a metal detector i thought that would have been a riot out there but it just didn't feel like the right thing to do considering the situation for all those poor people. But imagine the things you'd find at a lake bottom from, you know, the last hundred years. Right. Well, and speaking of that, um, our little um, uh, antique engine com- uh, club that's just down the road from my house, they actually are going to have the steam shovel that was found when the lake water went down from when they actually were building the dam. Oh, wow. And what they did is they, they used the steam shovel and then they just left it 
in the in the lake because it was cheaper just to leave it than it was to have a crane hoist it out of the lake and they just left it there and it'd been there for over a hundred years. Oh wow. That is that sounds about like the mentality of those times. <laughs> right. Well, and you, you figure know? if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna use a crane, it's gonna cost you a whole lot more money than right. it is to just let it lay. And yeah. that's what they did. They just let it lay. Yeah. It's and like the, a, a disposable almost. Yeah, like uh like how we send uh um space you know, spacecrafts into space. It's like they you know, they normally don't make it back. <laughs> right. Yep. But well, they served their purpose. What they what they said was the guy that had been looking for it passed away and his son had taken up his for lack of a better term, his pilgrimage to look for this thing. And where his dad had said it was gonna be, he found it like thirty six yards away from where his dad said it was was supposed to be. So Oh, and he was that close. He was that close. And the he had been looking for it for I think he said fifty years. Wow. Can you imagine being that that'd be like sitting on a gold mine and not knowing it. <laughs> I know. I know. I wonder what the value is of it. At this point, probably priceless. Yeah. I mean it, yeah, it's, it's a it, it's a thing of history now, right? Right. Yeah. But hey, that, I know you. I know you're busy. I know you're getting ready to to do your audit hunt. So I'm gonna let you go. I thank you for your time. Absolutely, I had a good time. It was nice talking with you. Um, I think what you're doing is fantastic. If we can help in any way, let us know and appreciate your time. Oh, I'll definitely be reaching out to you more. We'll talk awesome. to you later, Kyle. Thanks, Martin. Have a good night. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.